Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 15th. As promised, here's our second show of the day. The first went back in time a bit to recap the 2023 WTA Tour Finals. I was so fortunate to be joined by my dear friend, Tennis.com editorial producer David Kane. To break it all down, we offered a grade for each of the eight participants at the WTA Tour Finals seasons. We talked about some of the operational mishaps surrounding this year's event and where the WTA Tour Finals go from here. It's a fantastic conversation that you can find by simply scrolling down on your mini break podcast feed. Of course, you should also go check out our Crack Rackets Great Shot podcast feed. Over there, you can hear everything happening tangential to the college tennis universe, not just the results being produced at the college level, but who are the players that have gone on from college to the pro ranks that are having success each and every week. We cover those topics over on the Great Shot podcast feed, so be sure to go check that show out wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, I will ask, please like, rate, subscribe, review the show. It helps us with the podcast formula gods, helps us as we head into the offseason, try to renegotiate with all of our sponsors. So the more five-star ratings you can throw on Apple Podcasts, the more kind reviews you can throw, it is always greatly appreciated. That is my final ask here. Other than to say, of course, for all your tennis needs, go to tennis-point.com today. You can find everything you're looking for. Best equipment, best prices, one location, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 on part two show here today. Want to talk about day four at the ATP Tour Finals. Two more singles matches in the books. One of my favorite rivalries on tour is the rivalry between Sasha Zverev and Daniil Medvedev. There is certainly a tangential universe where these two are the top players in the world right now, where these two have already accumulated multiple slam titles, and where these two match up, it should, or excuse me, when these two match up, it should carry significance. These are two guys who have been the flag bearers, flag carriers, however you want to say it, for their generation. Obviously, Daniil Medvedev, one of the few players to break through in the big three era and win a slam title, Sasha Zverev slam final, multiple tour finals titles, multiple 1,000 level titles. He has been a top eight guy throughout the course of his career. And again, 26 years old, ostensibly just entering his prime, just entering the peaks of his powers. We were worried if he would get back to this level. He certainly has following the ankle injury he sustained at the 2022 French Open. It shouldn't matter whenever these two match up. And it was their 18th career head-to-head today. What's so fascinating is, you know, again, none of those 18 career head-to-head matchups, none of them have happened at a major 
and maybe that speaks to the fact they're often on opposite sides of the draw. One's the two seed, the other's the four seed. It speaks to the fact that often these guys run into a man by the name of Novak Djokovic, who knocks them off course and prevents them from doing battle in the final stages of a major. There's a lot that goes into this matchup. And perhaps more than anything, they epitomize modern tennis. Two six foot six guys who move like they're six inches shorter, but have the power of their size, have the power of their frame, not just in their ground strokes, but certainly in their serves as well. And look, it was a straight set match. It was a fascinating six and four victory for Daniil Medvedev. I want to break down the mechanics of it again, talk more about the context of their battles, break down all things Zverev Medvedev. We'll spend a little less time talking to Alcaraz Rublev, simply put their first career head to head. Fairly straightforward. World number two, Carlos Alcaraz, earning his first ever tour finals victory. He advanced in straight sets. We'll break down the mechanics of that one. Talk about what is almost assuredly another disappointing ATP tour finals appearance for Andre Rublev. Yes, he has a Sasha Zverev matchup remaining, a matchup which, by the way, he has had more success in this year than any year prior in his career, but 0-2 to start. Obviously not what he was looking for, given there's really just one last step for him to climb, beating the best of the best of his peers. And he's been unable to do so thus far. Again, we'll talk Zverev Medvedev, Alcaraz Rublev, and then maybe three minutes on the Champagne Challenger at the end as well. Our boy, uh, 2023 NCAA Men's Singles Champion Ethan Quinn, keeping his Australian Open main draw wildcard hopes alive. He's into the quarterfinals in Champagne. Who's joined him in the winner's circle? What matches should you be watching for on Thursday? We'll offer that on today's show as well. It's a jam-packed podcast for all of you listeners. And again, appreciate all of you who tune in week in, week out. That said, we've already plugged Tennis Point. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. I've already asked you, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Really do take those 30 seconds, if you don't mind, to leave that five-star rating. Leave that review as well. More of you listen to this podcast than have done so already, and it really would be appreciated by us all here at Crack Rackets and by the podcast Formula Gods. But enough said. Let's talk tennis here on episode two on what is a busy Wednesday, November 15th in the tennis world. Let's start with the best tennis I saw today. Sasha Zverev versus Daniil Medvedev. Again, it's a matchup so near and dear to my heart. Watching these two rise across, uh, above, excuse me, and throughout the ATP Tour ranks simultaneously occurred with, I don't want to say the rise of this podcast, but certainly the course of this podcast. You go back to 2017. You know, there's an article I wrote at the start of 2018 saying I thought Daniil Medvedev was going to be the breakout player of the season. Turns out, to some extent, I was correct. Now, obviously, it happened a year later where he becomes a top five player in the world, where he's competing in slam finals, where he's winning all these significant titles. And, you know, again, for Sasha Zverev by 2017, yes, he was still 20, 21 years old, but he had already made and won 1,000 level events. He only had that can he do well at the slams monkey on his back already by that point of his career. Again, these are two guys who are as accomplished as any players in their generation. Daniil Medvedev, world number one, slam champion, multiple finals. He has probably already locked up a Hall of Fame career. You look for Sasha Zverev, always worth mentioning. He's been credibly accused of assault, and he will have to litigate that charge, that uh, claim in German court. I believe that court 
case will be public ultimately, so we, the tennis populace, will have access to the information as it comes out as we learn more about that case. But obviously, something like that, it's going to cloud everything he accomplishes moving forward into the future. And it's its own topic, its own subject in itself. The ATP's response or perhaps lack thereof, the lack of clarity and what they're doing to respond. Even those of you who say he's innocent until proven guilty. That absolutely resonates. I understand that argument. Doesn't the ATP owe it to us as fans to not broadcast, but certainly make clear that an investigation is underway and should said investigation be concluded? Shouldn't they be shouldn't it be incumbent upon them to release the findings of that investigation, particularly if the investigation goes about clearing Sasha Zverev. I would want all of that information out there clearing my name, certainly regarding something like this. Anyways, that will cloud over him, regardless of where his career goes from here. Accomplishments-wise, he's on the precipice of the Hall of Fame. Gold medalist, two-time tour finals winner, multiple 1,000-level titles, a top-five guy pretty much in every season he's healthy throughout the course of his career. It's a Hall of Fame discussion we will certainly be having whenever Sasha Zverev's career concludes, unless, of course, he goes about and does the final thing he has left to accomplish, which is win a major. Because if he wins a major, yes, we can have the discussion, but it will be related to all of those off-the-court things. It will have nothing to do with what what he's accomplished on the court because that resume is pretty unimpeachable. And again, these guys are 6'6". They shouldn't be able to move the way that they do. Daniil Medvedev's first step, his ability to cover ground on a hard court, he's just everywhere. And, you know, we certainly saw that at multiple points throughout the course of his 7-6-6-4 victory today, particularly in the biggest moments of the match. You look right off the bat, Daniil Medvedev comes out, he breaks Sasha Zverev to start today's match. And, you know, Sasha, yes, two loose errors to start the match, forehand, backhand side, respectively, but the passing shot combination Daniil Medvedev hit to secure the break, a full on the stretch backhand down the line, dipped beautifully at the feet of Sasha Zverev. Sasha Zverev even made a play on that volley, made a damn good play on it as well to get use his length, get a racket on it, to actually knife it short angle cross court. Lesser players aren't tracking that volley down, but of course, Daniil Medvedev has hit that one-two passing shot combination a million times in his career. He knows, as my coach would always say, to dip and chase that passing shot combination. You're going to dip at the feet. You better be ready to chase a little short angle or drop volley coming back at you. Medvedev's there. Again, passes with the forehand down the line, beats Zverev back to the spot. He breaks for one love. It epitomizes what he does, but again, it was a really nice inside-out forehand, two-forehand combination for Sasha Zverev to set up the move forward, and for Medvedev to come up with that two-pass combo, it epitomizes what he does so well. But look, right away from there, the match was on. No, Zverev doesn't break back until 3-all, but the backhand on the sprint down the line overhead uh, passing shot overhead combination he hits for 15 all in point number two of Medvedev's opening service game told you right away again this match means something and look it's the 18th time these two have faced off against one another Medvedev and Zverev have played each other more than they have played any other opponent in their career in Look, it's a tale of really two completely different stories. Zverev, who again started off his career so much quicker and was this highly touted junior, was this prospect, one of the chosen ones given you know his profile and what he had accomplished. He wins five of the first six 
in their matchup in the career head-to-head. Since then, Daniil Medvedev, 10-2 against Sasha Zverev, including a 5-1 record now against Zverev here this season. And look, Medvedev's ready for every counter Sasha Zverev throws at him. Daniil Medvedev is particularly well-suited as well to still exploit the one thing that happens to Sasha Zverev in particularly big matches like this, which is he gets a little yippy. He gets a little tentative in the biggest moments of these matches. And certainly up 4-1 mini break lead in the opening set tie break. Medvedev just forces him to have to hit an extra volley. Zverev short arms it. He misses it. Instead of going up 5-1, it's now 4-2. Medvedev comes back. He takes a 9-7 breaker, a really fun physical breaker. But again, a breaker Zverev probably could have had if he was a little bit more decisive and confident moving forward. He's gotten so much better as a volleyer. And to his credit, in set number two, you know, yes, he dropped that 9-7 breaker, a little tentative at the end, but he stayed decisive. He stayed attacking on serve 5-4 in the second set of this match. And, you know, again, Zverev did notice Obviously, how could you not? The Daniil Medvedev defensive return positioning started taking that first backhand as an approach shot, attacking the Medvedev forehand pretty consistently at first, but then getting Medvedev to camp on that wing, that's when he started to take the backhand cross and follow it in, and that's when he started to take backhand swinging volleys, forehand swinging volleys, serving volleys in general. Zverev showed the continued improvement in his ability to move forward and his willingness to do so in those moments as well, but You know, again, that tentativeness, that little bit of shakiness moving forward, the fact that it's just not inherently second nature still to Sasha Zverev, reared its head at 4-5 in the second set of this match. Right away, Sasha Zverev had a really easy forehand overhead floater sitter, you know, bunts down on it, tries to sky it into the crowd. He was unable to do so. Medvedev, using his ridiculous length, his speed, comes up with the octopus pass, gets an overhead off the overhead. Zverev misses the backhand volley off of that Medvedev defensive overhead. Love 15 there. You know, Zverev, again, another similar should have put away a volley, wasn't able to do it. Medvedev finds another pass. Now, all of a sudden, he's down 30-40. And, you know, again, one loose error at 30-40 after Medvedev connects on a good return. All of a sudden, that's the match. That's the break. 7-6-6-4. Daniil Medvedev gets the victory. Now, again, it was about four points in this match that separated these two. This was a really fun hour, 45-minute straight set battle between two guys who are clearly, I continue to say, I think Zverev's pretty firmly established himself as the fifth best player in the world. Now, what's the delta between him and the Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner Quartet? That's a question we can discuss as we look towards January in the off season. But the margins in this match were, again, extraordinarily thin. And ultimately, Daniil Medvedev was able to expose that still, that hair of shakiness that remains for Sasha Zverev, who, by the way, nine aces, 76% first serve percentage. It wasn't double fault shakiness. It was, again, the extra bit of decisiveness, firmness you need moving forward to put away one of the great defensive players we have in Daniil Medvedev, who, by the way, also was popping first serves, win 78% of them, did a great job of jamming Zverev's forehand body on that serve to draw something short and picks his target so well with the plus one forehand. The depth and the pace he's able to produce on his plus one forehand. You think of Daniil Medvedev because he's so quick because he extends rally so well as this defensive player. 
I don't know, man. The pace of his forehand, it's up there. Like, the depth he can generate when he gets a full whack at that ball. Yeah, the technique's funky, but, man, does that ball penetrate the court. Obviously, the consistency on the backhand speaks for itself. He is a much more natural volleyer, even if technique-wise looks way funkier than Sasha Zverev moving forward. This is one of those matches. Medvedev reminds you what the standard is. You have to be at your best to beat Daniil Medvedev on a hard court. Sasha Zverev was close to it, but not quite there, and thus ultimately Medvedev's able to advance now 11-7 against Zverev in the career again. 5-1 here this season. This is the fourth time, fifth time, fifth time. These guys have played at the Tour Finals five different times in their careers. Uh, The record now 3-2 advantage to Medvedev, but they've played five times at the Tour Finals. They've never played at a major. Just has to change. Ideally, it would be at like a hard court final or semifinal. These two have to go through one another finally because they just haven't had to do so thus far at the majors in their career. And again, 26, 27, that's shocking given these guys are both typically in the final stages of majors over the past few seasons. Nevertheless, again, that's the best match I saw on the day. Margins really thin. Daniil Medvedev 2-0 now advancing to the semifinals, although I don't understand. I mean, I get how he advances because he has straight set wins over both Rublev and Zverev. So even if he loses in straight sets for two set resume, he'll get through no matter what. The Zverev Elkarez tiebreak gets weird to me from there because let's say Elkarez beats Zverev uh, beats Medvedev in straights, Zverev beats Rublev in straights, but Zverev beat Elkarez in three sets versus Elkarez who lost to Zverev in three. Does Elkarez advance? even though Zverev beat him. But then Elkarez beat Medvedev, who beat Zverev. I'm not exactly sure how the tiebreakers work. I will make sure to have an answer for you all before day six gets underway and the final day of play in this group goes. But again, Daniil Medvedev, he earns the victory. Medvedev now here 66-15. and 66-15 and 15 in 2023. He's won 81% of his matches. You look hard courts alone here this year. He's 49-9. and nine. It's ridiculous. He is that good. Again, if he wins the year-end finals, it will be the first time he's won any event twice. Wouldn't that be fitting? And certainly he's on the short list of contenders already heading into Australia. And if you want to hear the stakes, by the way, of what I think is at stake for each of these players competing this week, you can go check out yesterday's mini break podcast where I discuss those stakes for each of the players in this draw. Next up, though, let's talk Alcaraz, Rublev, and Again, tactically, there's really not that much to get into. Alcaraz was pretty comfortable from start to finish. Carlos Alcaraz, 6 4 six, uh, excuse me, 7 5 six, two, advancing over Rublev. Andre unable to break Alcaraz in the match, didn't have a break point either. Felt like the pace of Alcaraz's forehand really disrupted Rublev, and any time Rublev left anything short, Alcaraz just went full gun into attacking whatever the open lane of space was. I mean, obviously, you could just see the frustration on Rublev's face to not only have the Medvedev result on day one, but to lose this match in straight sets, be thoroughly eliminated before he's even play his final match from this event, to have that happen another consecutive year. Again, Andre Rublev, as I talked about yesterday, he did everything else. He won his first 1,000-level title. He made three quarterfinals at the majors at this year. He put himself in a position to play the best of the best, and if he beat him, put himself at a shot at winning perhaps some of the biggest titles the tennis calendar has to offer, and he just wasn't able to execute that. 
at really any of the non-Monte Carlo events this year. And even then, Monte Carlo, first clay court, post-sunshine swing. There's always, I don't want to say an asterisk next to it, but it's just different than everything else you play throughout the course of the year. And look, I mean, again, he made 74% of his first serves. I think the scariest thing if you're Andre Rublev is you looked across the den, you're like, damn. Carlos really does everything better than I do, including having this massive weapon of a forehand and pouncing on a short ball whenever it exists. I mean, again, the margins were thin. It was 5-2. and two. It wasn't that much of a beatdown, but a 5-2 and two with no breakpoint chances is particularly tough. And look, again, Alcaraz played better. He still wasn't at his best. He's still a little tentative, just not finding as many forehands as I'm accustomed to seeing outside of his service games in that ad side of the court, but he's just better at everything than Andre Rublev in this match. I know that's only two minutes versus a 12 on Zverev Medvedev, but Carlos Alcaraz gets a win. I suppose he's still playing for his survival against Daniil Medvedev, and man, am I excited to see that U.S. Open semifinal rematch because, again, Medvedev played a perfect match in New York. What does Alcaraz do to counter all of the things Medvedev did to make him uncomfortable, particularly in an indoor hardcourt of all places. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Again, that's two days from now. Tomorrow we get the final play in group Djokovic. Novak going to take on, uh, who's he going to, he's going to face Hubie Hercots, right? Yeah, because Hercots replacing Tsitsipas. Djokovic needs to win that. I think if, I mean, if Sinner beats Runa and Djokovic beats Hercots, Djokovic is through for sure. If Runa beats Sinner and Djokovic beats Hercots, then things start to get funky because Runa, yes, he got a withdrawal from Stefano Tsitsipas, but I think that technically registers at a straight set win on his resume. So there are still things to play for in that group. It's going to be a really fun day five. We'll be back tomorrow to break it all down. Last but certainly not least, we got a lot of good round of 16s at the Champagne Challenger this week. And just a reminder, the Champagne Challenger, part of the USTA Australian Open Wild Card Challenge, whoever accumulates the most points between Champagne Knoxville, Charlottesville. I know there's some challengers around the globe. They all count over this three-week stretch. Whoever accumulates the most points, they're going to get a wild card into the Australian Open main draw. Right now, Knoxville champion Alex Mickelson in the lead in that competition. But Mickelson's 99 right now in the live rankings. If he gets on his in on his own ranking, the wild card will go to the second place finisher. Right now, Ethan Quinn, semifinalist in Charlottesville. He got a win over Strunk Kirkheimer, did the wild card as well as a three-set win over Emilio Nava in round number one. He's through to the quarters. Two quarters for him at the challenger level in the fall after a really slow summer start to his pro career is exactly what the doctor ordered. Really happy for my guy. Just took him some time to be able to get up to speed and build himself opportunities to impose his will with his serve, with his forehand, which are certainly weapons capable of succeeding at any level. And now he's just giving himself time to do so. He'll take on Nino Citarusic in Friday's quarters. Tomorrow's going to be a fun day, though. You got the battle of players with the University of Illinois ties, top seed Alex Kovacevic, the former Illini All-American, taking on current Illinois number one, junior Carlos Ozalans. Ozalans, a three-set win over Stefan Kozlov in round one. Going to be some big hitting, some fantastic ball striking in that one. Sophomore for Illinois, Kenta Miyoshi, going to take on former A&M All-American Patrick Kipson, who by the way, very much alive in that Australian Open wildcard race as he also made a Charlottesville semifinal 
Bottom half of the draw is fun. Martin Dom, the young American big serving lefty, he's been really good here in 2023. The now 20-year-old overall, 51 and 28, but of late, end of September wins a 25K title, quarterfinals, semifinals at Challengers in Alicante and Bratislava as a chal- uh, as a qualifier. Now, hasn't made a quarter yet in this USDA wildcard challenge, but Indoor hard courts, his serve, worth watching. He'll take on alternate Mats Rosenkranz, the aforementioned Alex Mickelson. He'll take on former Pepperdine All-American Sebastian Fanislow. You have USC All-American Brandon Holt taking a fourth seed, Tituin Trojay. Alex Rybakov, former TCU All-American, taking on Mitchell Kruger. And again, everyone's playing for that Australian Open wildcard challenge. You win the title this week with how thin the margins are, with where Mickelson is in the rankings. You will give yourself a shot at qualifying for that wild card. And you know what makes watching the Champagne Challenger, which available on the ATP Challenger feed, wherever you, on any website, at wherever you are in the world, even better than just outstanding tennis, our guy, Mike Cation, on the call as well. One of, if not the best in the business. So check out the Champagne Challenger. Certainly one of the final events we have on the tennis calendar in the 2023 season. With that said, that's your look at day four of the ATP Tour Finals and everything going on in Champaign. Again, four thoughts on the WTA Tour Finals. Check out my earlier conversation today with Tennis.com editorial producer David Kane. A thank you and shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff as well for the event job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, as always, like, rate, Subscribe, review, share this show, Cracked Interviews podcast, Great Shot podcast feeds with your friends. And as always, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of the mini break, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Danny Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.